Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. He said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome back to Mid-Atlantic. As you've probably heard me say before, uh, Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network, a network of great independently produced podcasts from all over the world. Uh, each month we nominate a show to specifically to promote, and this month is Dominic Perry's excellent The History of Egypt podcast. Um, why don't you go over to the Agora Podcast Network or to iTunes or Stitcher or a podcatcher of your choice today to give it a listen. If you really want to build a more equal, just and sustainable Britain, then we have to do things differently. We can't stand by while ordinary, while ordinary people are locked out of politics. And we can't wait for progressive parties to get their act together. We have to win together. We have to win together. The kind of change we need comes when we realise our power. We're organising a force for change with ordinary people at its heart where the progressive movement will find the energy to lead us into the future. Developing leaders, transforming neighbourhoods, disrupting politics from the ground up. We'll equip them with the skills to build power. From the estate to the ballot box, we'll back people to win. We'll back our leaders to win. To lead us into the future. We can, we can win. win. We can win. We can win. Please contact us and join our campaign at wecanwin.co.uk. We can win. We can win. We can win. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Today I'm joined by Reggie Hubbard, Democratic Party operative in the DC area, and in London I'm joined by John Ellidge of the New Statesman and City Metric. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello. Good evening. I am your host, Royfield Brown, and hopefully he's going to be able to whip up a little bit more enthusiasm 
in this most <laughs> unprecedented of weeks, which has seen yeah, um, political action by and against President Trump. This evening, barred from the U.S., some even detained at airports, including right here in the Bay Area. Now, protests, outrage, and backlash from President Trump's refugee ban. And good evening to you. I'm Julia Goodrich. And I'm Brian Hackney. Along with anger, there's also a lot of confusion and worry over the ban this evening. Not long ago, Mr. Trump signed three new executive orders. None of them as contentious as the order that went into effect yesterday. Despite the aftermath, the mounting legal challenges, the president says everything is going smoothly. It's not a Muslim ban, but we're totally prepared. It's working out very nicely. You see it at the airports, you see it all over. It's working out very nicely. Set the refugees free! Hundreds swarmed the arrivals terminal at SFO today. In fact, so many people showed up, the protests had to move outside. Protesters showed up for several different reasons. There were lawyers volunteering their services for those who were seeking answers for family members who live in one of the seven banned countries. And citizens who are in shock at the speed of which President Trump's executive orders are turning into action were here too. Quite simply, we're going to ask, what the hell is going on? Um, gentlemen, where to start? Um, I think maybe in such a week where there's been just so many things going on on both sides of the Atlantic, but really let's focus in on uh, what, what's been happening in the United States and let's talk about the reaction to the Muslim ban. Quite simply, Reggie, okay. is this a case of the people versus President Trump? The short answer is yes. Uh, the longer answer is that it is inscribed on the Statue of Liberty. It's like, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Like, it is in the credo and the ethos of the United States to let in refugees and immigrants. We are a nation of immigrants uh, almost prescriptively. And so for him to have this uh, ban is against what uh, the, over the overwhelming ethos of the American culture is. And um, as you can see by the recent demonstrations, not only with respect to the Muslim ban, but even before that, last week with the Women's March, people just aren't having it. Okay, but if people aren't having it, how the hell did we, um, how the hell did you actually elect this guy? John, why did they elect this guy if the moment he gets into power, there is so much visceral opposition to him? Oh, yeah, turn to the British guy to explain American democracy. Um, I mean, I, I, my, my, my guess would be that it's, it's important that he didn't get a majority of the vote uh, and that he was three million votes behind Hillary Clinton. And it's only the, the vagaries of the electoral college system uh, that mean he, he got elected at all. So that was always going to make things, things difficult. But also, Donald Trump is not a man who is... Uh, gracious in in victory i mean he, he he's he, he didn't get this majority of the vote and you can tell that burns him so instead of um trying to be conciliatory he's now going around talking about how oh well conveniently enough there are actually three million illegal votes all of whom went to hillary clinton none of which went to me um he's just doing a it's just I'm trying to think of a way of saying it that isn't just it's his personality, but I really do think that it's it's his personality and character is going to make it incredibly difficult for him to do the kind of things that would be necessary to bring the American people along with him. Um, instead, he's just kind of running 100 miles an hour at all the all the kind of crazy right wing stuff that that the bright bar army behind him wants him to do. Uh, and and that's going to piss people off, you know. I don't think it's more complicated than you know. You're saying why why are people angry with Donald Trump? Well, 
look. Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> um, well, Royfield, let me also add to that, since um, I had a little bit of experience in the electoral process this past cycle, especially. Mm -hmm. um, there was an overwhelming amount of hubris, one might say, in thinking that Ms. Clinton's election was inevitable. inevitable. And that led to a strategic error in not going to Michigan, not going to Wisconsin, and for instance, also going to states like Arizona and Georgia, which are traditionally red states, red meaning trending Republican. And so it seemed as though at some level there was a misallocation of resources, uh, thinking that the election was going to be more wide open than it actually was. So rather than protecting the firewall of states that have gone Democratic for the past several election cycles, they didn't really go to Michigan, they didn't really go to Wisconsin and took it for granted and as such lost them in the Electoral College. So I think part of it is Electoral College vagaries, but I think also part of it is bad strategy. Okay, but let's, without wanting to completely and utterly fight on the detail of the reasons why the Clinton campaign lost, um, for me it seems somewhat unprecedented, and that's a word which has been, you know, belaboured in the last seven, eight days, but is totally merited the opposition to, to this new president. Um, John, you said that this is because he's going at 100 miles an hour because he's fueled by the Breitbart army. Um, Reggie, how much of the present administration's um, actions, executive actions in the last week, do you think have been uh, fueled actually by Steve Bannon? Is Steve Bannon actually the president of the United States? Oh, God. I think in the same way that some would argue that Karl Rove and Dick Cheney were behind the Bush White House, I think Mr. Bannon has a very large portion of uh, President Trump's ear. Um, and I think it could be, I don't know if it can be specifically attributed to him, um, but the rapid succession and the uh, sheer volume of these edicts that are coming out from the, from the executive branch there shows a level of uh, premeditation of that. Like this wasn't spontaneous, right? They were just waiting to get into power. And then once they got into power, they just pressed play and all this stuff came out. So I can't say that specifically attributed to Mr. Bannon, but I can say that people with his ear, President Trump's ear, have lined this up. And basically when they got power last uh, couple Fridays ago, just teed off. John, our new shiny prime minister has just been over in Washington, D.C., and I think uh, Americans think she, she actually did quite a good job. They're somewhat impressed by her. Uh, the reaction to her visit in the, in, the US, in the U.K. has not been so positive. Can you give us a little bit of a, a snapshot of actually what people have said about, what, about her, her visit to President Trump? I mean, there is quite a divide to be honest there's a lot of uh, the right-wing commentariat who are generally in the tank for for the conservative party uh, i've been trying to paint it as you know this massive this huge diplomatic triumph and you know britain is going to leave the european union but that doesn't matter because we're going to rebuild the special relationship and that's our true place in the world is we, we're going to join with the united states to to lead a new world order which is all you know faintly terrifying at the best of times but within 36 hours of those headlines, the ban on uh, migrants from seven Muslim countries kicked in and there was basically a riot at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York City and it suddenly 
looked like 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 it had been a massive strategic error on Theresa May's part to go and basically just kind of suck up to President Trump and not make any effort to talk about uh, human rights issues or to raise any of the concerns about this immigration policy. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it, it's kind of quite a helpful rhyme, but people have started referring to her as Theresa the appeaser. Um, someone was, was uh, comparing her. She's been unflatteringly compared to Neville Chamberlain, who's obviously the guy oh, who got the piece of paper, you know, so that I hold in my hand this piece of paper from Hitler in Munich, Peace Now Time and so on. Um, but, you know, the novelist Robert Harris popped up to point out that actually that was a very unfair comparison to Neville Chamberlain, who did later go on to declare war against Hitler. So it's <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like Therese is ending the weekend is, is in a stronger position as she began it. Um, she's managed to put herself she, she's managed the, to, the remarkable feat of, of putting herself on the wrong side of an issue and letting Labour's catastrophically poor leader, Jeremy Corbyn, put himself in the right. And that's that's almost unheard of recently. The flip side of all I feel like I'm babbling now, but the flip side of all this is it's kind of difficult to see what else she can do, because if we're going to have Brexit, the only way that works in any way is to kind of cozy up to uh, the US. And it just so happens that at this point in history, the US has got the, the, the single leader who it is least attractive to cozy up to but it's not clear what other choice we have i mean we can't we can't just sort of cut ourselves off and 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 just not have allies anymore so i mean I, well I, we've i'm decided, kind of trailing off well here well let, let, let me help you before you trail off completely but we have decided to, to cut ourselves off from um closest in terms of geographically our closest allies in Europe, haven't we? At least cut ourselves adrift a little. Reggie, how significant is it that we've had this unprecedented... Well, I've got to find a new word. How significant is it that we've had this um, unheard of wave of people... Uh, action, historic. Historic, there you go. Historic wave of people action within the United States and the fact that the Democratic Party leadership seems to be floundering in its wake. One thing, uh, before I go into that question, uh, John, there wasn't a riot at uh, JFK. It was actually a beautiful, peaceful protest, uh, which is one of the things that is, I know it may be semantics, but as this thing is portrayed, um, the amount of people gathering peacefully is, is, is going to be what leads the opposition. And uh, and to your point, Royfield, the... Uh, <laughs> it's almost unfortunate that all this is happening while there's no Democratic Party chair. Uh, the chair uh, elections are in, are in three weeks in Georgia. Uh, so there's no real center point in leadership for the party as in terms of the actual Democratic Party for the entire country uh, to be counter to this. That may actually be a good thing for the moment because um, by the time a party chair is announced, who knows what will happen within those three weeks, because in two weeks, this gentleman has uncorked so many bottles of crazy champagne that uh, he's drunk on his own power. Um, but with respect to the establishment, uh, Senator Schumer in the Senate has been very vocal um, in some of these uh, opposite to the cabinet plate, the cabinet uh, nominees. And also Mrs. Pelosi, um, it's kind of hard to be a counterbalance to a complicit Congress. Right. So there's certain voices on the Republican side that are woefully silent. 
Like I would have expected by now Marco Rubio, for instance, who was a son of immigrants, who was a, a Cuban refugee, his family were Cuban refugees. I would have expected him to say something and not be so silent on Muslim ban. This is just crazy. Can I ask a question, actually? I'm curious yeah. how long you think it's going to take before the Republican Party finds its backbone. I mean, what has to happen before they realize that they have a greater interest in opposing Donald Trump than they do in supporting him? I mean, I can give you the, I can give you a political answer <laughs> um, and a real answer. No, so the I'm teasing about that. So I think that when people realize that there's political merit to opposing the president, um, I think that that will spur some people. I think quite candidly, some people are scared, um, and some people may just be playing the waiting game, right? So where can I fit in? What uh, wedge can I drive within? the issues or those sorts of things. But another thing that's important to remember is that the Republican Party has been out of full power uh, for years. And so there's some people who are just so excited to have the Senate, the House, and the executive branch uh, that I think that they're just more excited about having power than realizing that we need you to be leaders as well as drunk on your own power at the moment. Gentlemen, let's try and have an analogy between popular will, popular power, popular demonstrations and the left on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, John, for me, it's been significant that this weekend we've, there's been renewed pushes for there to be marches against Brexit because it seems to be that our American cousins are kind of showing us the way of actually how to um, oppose uh, unpopular decisions. What's the triangulation for this, specifically with Corbyn and the Labour Party? And of course, we're now seeing that front, uh, front benches of the Labour Party have actually said they're going to defy uh, Corbyn's diktat and, and voting with the government on Article 50. So give us a snapshot of that. Where do progressive, what do progressives do in, in the UK and specifically to do with popular action and, uh, as I say, those, those MPs on the front bench? It's... I think it's a much more nuanced and, and complicated picture than that, to be honest. Um, there's, a, there's a surge of enthusiasm in, in the UK, as there is in, in much of the Western world, I think, to sort of march against other, somebody else's president. Um, because, you know, that's, that, that's a cause everyone can get behind. You know, this, guy is, this, this guy is doing horrible things of immigration policy and health care and women's rights and all sorts of other stuff. So, so, yeah, that's an easy thing for progressives to stand up and say, I don't like this. Brexit is a bit more complicated because obviously, so the, you know, the, the metropolitan liberal left uh, of whom I'm, I'm smug to count myself one um, mm. is very much opposed to Brexit. Because it kind of goes again, and, and we and would argue there are parallels with with the forces that propelled Trump to power were also yeah. those that the pushed totally. us to fifty two percent in the referendum. Yeah. yeah. But if you break it down to the level of actual electoral politics, the difficulty you've got is that while most Labour voters voted to remain in the European Union, most Labour seats are are actually um, majority Leave. Because the, the, that Remain vote is heavily concentrated in, in a relatively small number of big cities and university towns. So the difficulty that the Labour Party has in formulating a position is that whichever side it comes down on, 
it's probably going to lose a large chunk of its seats. Um, and there's not really an easy way around this. So you're, you're saying that Labour's, the front bench is rebelling against Corbyn. That's true of a few people that um, Tulip Sadiq's gone. Um, I think Catherine West is threatening it. Uh, but these these are generally people with heavily pro-Remain London seats where actually if they voted for Article 50, which will begin the process of leaving the European Union, then they would probably come under electoral pressure from the Liberal Democrats, who are just sort of purely Remain. That does not apply to most Labour MPs. I think most Labour MPs probably are for Remain, but their constituency electorates aren't. John, but, so, couldn't, but couldn't, we, couldn't you make a very strong argument, not you, but couldn't we Remainers make a very strong argument to say, look at the genie coming out the bottle in the United States. Look at what um, economic isolation actually really looks like. Here is uh, the great negotiator, Donald Trump, one minute saying, I'm a, you know, I'm a great negotiator. We're going to put on a 20% tariff on, on goods from Mexico. And within hours, backing down from that because people realize, wait a minute, that means that our avocados are going to go up by 20%. All the goods, all, all you know, car imports from Mexico are going to go up by, by 20%. This isn't a tax on Mexico. This is a tax on Americans. Could, could you yeah. know, surely us Remainers can actually say, look, fast forward uh, six months time after we triggered Article 50, or at least when we leave, you leave the European Union, this is what we're going to get. You're, you're going to get people stranded physically uh, in terms of am I allowed to go to Britain, am I not, etc., etc. Uh, inflation is going to go up because we're going to put tariffs on everything. Surely we I, have got three months. Go. These things, like, I fear these things might happen, but they don't happen when we activate Article 50. They happen when we fall out of the European Union without a deal, which is probably where we will end up, which will be in you know, March 2019, maybe. Um, so it's going to be a very long time before it's clear quite how big the downsides are. The other thing is, you're talking about how Donald Trump has turned out to be a terrible negotiator with the Mexicans. I have every confidence that he will come out much better in the free trade deal he negotiates with the UK, because the priorities from the American point of view there are going to be um, increasing access of private American healthcare to the NHS, uh, probably uh, some removal of restrictions on things like uh, medicine quality or, or animal welfare quality, that kind of thing. Uh, and our government is going to be so desperate for a deal just so it can say, look, it doesn't matter that we've left the European Union because we now have a trade deal, a trade deal with the United States. They're going to sign anything. They're going to agree to anything. So I, I think it's probably going to be a slow motion disaster. But the thing about slow motion disasters is by the time you realize it's a disaster, you're already dead. <laughs> Reggie, you, you said that, uh, that, there were, that there were no Republicans standing up to Trump. Uh, John McCain, Lindsey Graham are definitely kind of foremost in that fight. Um, right. You, you, you expect them, though. Yeah, you expect them to do that. For people that don't know an awful lot about uh, John McCain and Lindsey Graham, tell us exactly who they are right. and why you know we would expect them to lead the fight against Trump. Okay. Uh, John McCain is the senior senator from Arizona. He is a uh, he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam who suffered ridiculous amounts of torture. I think over a six year span, um, and was released. Uh, 
and then became a politician thereafter. Um, he spoke vociferously when President Trump was like, I'm okay with torture. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> so, and John McCain has a reputation as being a maverick from his earlier days in the Senate. And then he also uh, ran a strong campaign for the presidency in 2008 prior to his selection of Sarah Palin as vice presidential nominee. Uh, Lindsey Graham is also a maverick uh, who has had, uh, he's from South Carolina, the senior senator from South Carolina. And he also has a bit of a reputation of kind of saying and doing what he wants uh, by nature of his longevity um, in the Senate. So he's a senior senator from South Carolina, but also he's been in the institution for a while and knows how, and if there is any liberal Republicans left, Lindsey Graham trends that way. Um, we used to have a tradition in the United States of what we would call a Rockefeller Republican, who they would be fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Um, that doesn't exist in the Trumpian view of Republicanism, nor does it exist in whatever uh, view of the majority leader uh, or, or by Paul Ryan. And one quick comment, Royfield, about um, Prime Minister May is that I think that they're, her being, the UK being the first visit uh, state visit to the United States, I think, is especially significant because um, in the same way that the UK may be, may be looking for allies, Donald Trump is looking for any good news that he can muster. And um, I think some people in the United States are hopeful that the sanity, um, at least vis-a-vis -vis what's happening in our political system, that maybe that the, uh, the UK can be a counterbalance and that the president will actually listen to y'all um, because he's not listening to anybody over here. So if, for instance, the state visit that's proposed to the UK is postponed um, because people say we don't agree with your uh, stance on immigrant rights or Muslim ban or whatever, I think he has, we as the United States um, have a better chance of him listening to y'all to like all the legal battles that are going to happen here. Somebody started the petition first thing on, on Sunday morning um, on the parliament website calling for the cancellation of the state visit over the, yeah, the ban on Muslim immigration. Um, last I checked about half an hour ago, that was up to half a million signatures. Woo! Wow. Okay. So, yeah, in, in that, that's in about 14, 15 hours. Um, that said, the, the, you know, that strain of British thought is not reflected in our current government. And I think that anyone in the U.S. who, who is waiting for the, for, for the sanity of the British government to ride to the rescue and save you all that really just speaks of, of the level of american ignorance of the state of british politics because we are in a mess right like we you know we, we we have completely uh abandoned our senses some months ago now so you know if, if we're your best hope then you know god save us all frankly yeah but that, that, that's, that's not what i said i said like some level of counterbalance as opposed to what i mean i know you guys are a mess but we're not really we're not sterling clean either like like this is crazy Surely, um, yeah, all no, I, Trump. I, I get that, but all... I just think we're, I, I feel we're going to we're going to be the enablers. We are just going to. We. I, I, my concern is that Theresa May is basically going to give Donald Trump uh, a fig leaf and, and and suggest that you know actually there is still a Western alliance there. Okay, right on. Sure, surely, though, um, what Theresa May is going to really do is actually just wait and see the amount of public uproar in the United States cannot be ignored by people on both sides of the Atlantic and, and surely 
we're going to all have a much clearer idea of how long this presidency is going to last. By by let's let's give it um, another another couple of months because if yeah, this level yeah. yeah exactly if this level of public of this level of public demonstrations keeps up he he cannot physically survive and you will have senators and you will have congressmen who are of a Republican hue openly defying him. Uh, but just going back a step, you're saying that Donald Trump doesn't really listen to anybody. Surely, Reggie, who he yeah. listens to are, are men in many uniform. He listens to his generals, doesn't he? That he, he, he admires uh, military strength. He likes pomp right. and pageantry. Um, uh-huh. There are two generals in his cabinet. And he said uh, Madden doesn't want to do uh, torture. I believe in torture. But if he says no, um, it's going to be no. So he's, that's who he's actually listening to right now. And, of course, Steve Bannon. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's true. But when I say no one, I mean outside of his inner circle. But surely there, there, is, a, there is another thing which Donald Trump actually looks at, which is um, the polls. He, he's big on the polls. We don't mean people of Polish extraction. Those are opinion polls. <laughs> that when those right. come to bite him in the backside in the, in the next seven days, when those come, you know, with actually not just how badly he's perceived of doing through the transition, but also in this, this specific crisis, surely, surely somebody as vain as him, John, has to look at that and say, why is it that my poll numbers are so bad if I'm doing so well? I'm, I'm doing bigly well. <laughs> I mean, you would hope he's clearly like Donald Trump is clearly a man who cares very deeply about what people think of him. He but he's also, yeah, exactly. But he's also very good at rationalization. And, you know, convincing himself that the evidence of his senses is is actually inaccurate. So, you know, despite the fact that there were very obviously fewer people at his inauguration than Obama's, because he finds that embarrassing, <laughs> he just managed to convince himself that that, that oh. somehow this was not true. And he sent Sean Spicer out to say that for him. And, yeah. you know, he, 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 he lost the popular vote by a mile. So how does he deal with that? He convinces himself that actually the three million extra votes that Clinton got were not legitimate. So I actually think the the danger is that instead of changing course, these protests will make him start thinking that, you know, the population of New York City, for example, don't really count as Americans somehow. Like we already saw one of the weirder moments of this week was the tweet in which he threatened to to declare martial law on, on the city in of Chicago. Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Oh my I, Lord. I, I don't think it's. I mean, is anyone going to be surprised if he's suggesting sending the feds into into Queens before the week's out? Right. Uh, I think it'll be before the before the end of February. I mean, we have Black History Month coming up here. I'll be interested to see how he messes that up. Um, God. It's uh, these are interesting times, and I think that uh, one of the things that we have to wait and see, um, and Royfield and John, I think one of the things that's not he wrote it to his advantage in the electoral campaign, but we'll see what happens um, as in his presidency is that he doesn't have traditional political experience um, as evidenced by his overly business-oriented style. Um, I'm from the Washington area, and I've been in and out of politics for the past decade and, and a quarter. And when the, when the political winds shift and you don't, that's catastrophic. And so we'll see... We'll see what happens with that. You know, you know, he has at least 
he has imagined a, a, a tidal wave of goodwill with the beginning of his presidency. Um, to you, to y'all's point, um, when the polls come out and show his approval rating, I, I, I venture to say will be one of the lowest um, in the first hundred days in the history of the republic. Um, we'll see what happens then. We'll see if there's still full steam ahead on some of these issues because um, I expected a measure of protest, but I didn't expect what I've seen. And I'm actually, given my political stripes, I'm actually quite pleased to see it. Talking about polls, John, um, you say that UK politics is in a mess, but Theresa May's poll numbers are incredibly healthy. You know, she's seen as being competent and somewhat decisive. Why is she uh, doing so well in terms of public, public popular opinion? I think partly it's the, the fact that the opposition has just seeded the field completely. Um, and you know, Theresa May is, I don't think she is a centrist. I think she's far more right-wing than, than David Cameron and George Osborne, who were the senior figures in, in the last Conservative government. Um, I don't think Theresa May is centrist at all. But in her conference speech, the Conservative Party conference back in early October, um, that was briefed to the press as, you know, this is a bold pitch for the centre ground, which is nonsense because it was it was actually quite sort of nasty right wing xenophobic stuff. But it was briefed as a, as a, as a, as a pitch for the centre ground and duly reported as such. Um, at the same time, we've got uh, a Labour leader who, in Jeremy Corbyn who actually I don't think he is uh, as left-wing as as perhaps some of his fans would like him to be. He's certainly not a liberal. Um, some of his some of his views are actually quite authoritarian. Um, but nonetheless, he pitches himself as being from the radical left, and um, and so it, it's just add add to that you know a, a generally right-wing and uh, hostile press for Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and it's much easier for, for Theresa May's conservatives to look like the same option. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think the wheels are going to come off for May personally, because I think she's already made quite a lot of unforced errors. And I think, I mean, the, 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 the trip to the U.S. followed immediately by a trip to to um, uh, President Erdogan in yeah Erdogan in Turkey, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know as recently as nine months ago, the fact that Turkey had applied to join the EU like fifteen years ago or something, it had applied and it's just never been formally rejected. It was never going to get in, but we kept dangling yeah. the carrot in front of them. Um, Forever, 50 years. the fact that. Yeah, the the fact that Turkey might join the EU was seen as seen as you know one of the big reasons to get out because suddenly there were going to be like you know seventy million Turks will have the right to come and live in Britain, and you know some of our more racist politicians took took advantage of that. Um, But now they're apparently at one of our great hopes, despite the fact that Erdogan is is, you know an authoritarian who who locks up journalists when it suits him. Um, so, so Theresa May moved from meeting Trump to meeting Erdogan, and then she was on a plane as all the stuff was kicking off uh, in, in New York. Uh, and as it emerged that a member, an, an MP from her own party, uh, Nadim Zahawi, who was Iraqi-born, would not be allowed to travel to the United States anymore. Um, and you know, senior conservatives all over the place were standing up to condemn Donald Trump's immigration policy, and the prime minister was nowhere to be seen. Um, so I, I really think sooner or later the wheels are going to come off. Her reputation is going to collapse because actually she's not that good. Um, but the threat at that point isn't from Labour. Like, I don't think that will rebound to Labour's advantage. To I think we just get a reshuffle at the top of the Tory party. 
but you you honestly think we'll get a reshuffle uh, in the top of the Tory party? What, when would this reshuffle happen? I don't know. But I mean, the, the Conservatives have been, historically, they've been quite ruthless at ditching underperforming leaders. Um, that's wait something a minute, John. they've, they've done. Her poll numbers many are incredibly strong right now. This would have to be catastrophe on top of catastrophe. And the majority of the Tory party, the base anyway, if the polls are to be believed, still want us to leave. So triggering Article 50, um, you know, is nothing but a political plus come the end of March, surely. Yeah, no, I don't think that's going to hurt you at all. I mean, I think I, I think that will one day lead to slowly unfolding economic disaster and that will hurt. Her. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think that's going to be the problem. But I just... I don't know. I just don't buy this argument that she's a safe pair of hands because she keeps taking these quite. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote um, a, a friend of mine who is a government lawyer who I'm I'm not going to name for obvious reasons, but has told me that the problem is that Number Ten wants to control everything. They're complete control freaks. They want to be making all the decisions, but they're also kind of indecisive and terrified to do anything. So uh, this was the line I was going to quote. As a result, like number 10 are very clear that it, when people don't make decisions, it's them who shouldn't be making them. So I, I I just don't think that this myth of Theresa May's competence is going to last that much longer. And while I don't think that will threaten the Conservative Party's electoral success, I do think there will come a point where actually it will be within the interest. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST is that party to remove her and replace her with somebody else. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. I mean, I was eight years old, interesting, the same age as the uh, Dragon King's daughter when she comes out of the sea. But um, well, what was happening to me when I was eight years old was that I was at the hands of a paedophile in, um, in a classroom for a year. 
and awesome yeah um for me i well and i think the reason that i somehow managed to to win in the end is that for me it's about an economy of the three things that bring a song together Catch up with me speaking to friends and interesting people every Friday afternoon on Friday 15, which you can get, of course, from a podcatcher of your choice. If you really want to build a more equal, just and sustainable Britain, then we have to do things differently. We can't stand by while ordinary ordinary people are locked out of politics. And we can't wait for progressive parties to get their act together. We have to win together. We have to win together. The kind of change we need comes when we realise our power. We're organising a force for change with ordinary people at its heart. Where the progressive movement will find the energy to lead us into the future. Developing leaders, transforming neighbourhoods, disrupting politics from the ground up. We'll equip them with the skills to build power. From the estate to the ballot box. We'll back people to win. We'll back our leaders to win. To lead us into the future. We can can win. win. We can win. We can win. Please contact us and join our campaign at wecanwin.co.uk We can win. We can win. We can win. Back over to you in, in Washington, Reggie. Yes. What does President Trump do next week? You, you, you've, you've sat looking at demonstrations in all of your major airports. You're looking at a federal judge who has struck down your Muslim ban, which you say is not a Muslim ban. What's his next move? The one thing I know about this gentleman is that he's completely unpredictable. Um, but I... I see no reason why he wouldn't just go full steam ahead with the uh, alt right wing agenda that's being proposed by Mr. Bannon. You know, there's still there are still certain elements of the Obama legacy that he wants to undo. Um, he still um, he either does that or he tries to change course with an announcement about like job creation or something like that. You know, um, one of the tried and true methods of changing the subject um, when you have political turmoil is to make some news about the economy. So if I were an advisor, I would go to a plant opening or something uh, and talk about, you know, I told you guys I was going to create jobs. This is indicative of me creating jobs. Here you go. That's what I would do. But I see no reason why he wouldn't double down um, either with his edict uh, edict rush or just uh, try and change the subject. John, we're trying to understand this, the, you know, the kind of tectonic plate the movement of the tectonic plates of British politics since uh, June 23rd. Um, surely the Lib Dems are the one party on on the left who are actually unified and actually have a clear message right now. Um, could Nick Farron and his cohorts actually end up being, uh, being basically the dagger which actually... Uh, the dagger to the heart of the Labour Party, considering that the Labour Party is so, so riven and divided in what to do about Article 50? I mean, I don't think it bodes well for Farron that you, that 
you've just got his name wrong. It's actually Tim Farron, <laughs> um, which I think is a measure of quite how much of an impact the, the poor man's had. Um, I mean, I think the, the Lib Dems position is going to improve. There are a lot of there are a lot of people who are broadly on the left who are very pro-European uh, and who are very liberal, socially liberal, and they no longer feel like they're they are representative uh, represented by a Labour Party that's drifted to the hard left under Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. um, and those those votes. Uh, are there for the taking. I think, yeah, I think the Lib Dems will regain a number of seats in in the major cities where people tend to have that kind of outlook from the Labour Party. Um, and they will probably also gain a few seats from the Conservative Party as well in areas that are kind of affluent but also um, anti-Brexit. So, I mean, the, the Richmond by-election late last year was, was a great example of, of that kind of thing. But you've got to remember the Lib Dems only have nine MPs now. Um, down from 50 or 60 before the last election. So they wow. could literally triple their numbers, which is, you know, that would be a hell of an achievement. And there would still be nowhere. You know, they're, still, they're just <laughs> they're, they're, they're just not going to be that big a force. Oh, also, no, but, but you, you said they're the John, only left-wing party. John, John. You say okay, they're the only left-wing John, party let, let me, with, let me with, jump with in the pro-European line. Forget the SNP. Listen, let, let, let me jump in. If, if the Lib Dems were to treble uh, their parliamentary standing, that means that the Tories are not in the majority. So we, as, as you pointed out um, on a podcast somewhere, uh, they only need, what, another five MPs and uh, the Tory majority is gone. That's, that is true. But, um, I mean, I don't think... I might, not know, getting, the, I I might not know the Libra's name, but I know the... Uh, political arithmetic of the situation and it shows you on what a knife edge actually UK politics actually truly is. Yeah, but I think that could easily be counteracted by uh, the, the Tories gaining seats from the Labour Party because the Labour Party is in such a mess and actually just if, if, if significant numbers of Labour voters start peeling off, not even to the Tories themselves, if they start peeling off to UKIP, which is entirely plausible in the north of England, then that would be enough to hand quite a few seats to the Conservatives. So I'm, I, I don't think it's implausible that, that the Conservatives could lose their majority, but firstly, there isn't an election for four years, and I think it's unlikely they're going to call one. And secondly, I think there's still got to be odds on favourites. Like just because the Labour Party are in such a mess. Reggie, who's going to be the next DNC chair? So the inside money is that it's a two-horse race between uh, Tom Perez and Keith Ellison. Uh, Tom Perez, former Labour Secretary under uh, the Obama administration, uh, seems to have a number of people that are considered institutional uh, icons within the DNC on his side. Keith Ellison, uh, very charismatic, um, has done a great campaign internally uh, to convince people that the progressive, the progressive vision he espouses is the direction the party should go into. Um, I'm hearing that it's um, it's neck and neck, uh, so I, I I have no idea, and I actually know four of the five people running for chair. So out of my uh, friendships with all of them, I can't I can't make a pick. <laughs> um. It was kind of really, really, the, the optics of this were really quite stark for me when you looked at mm. um, the, last, the last presidential election, that uh, the leadership of the Democratic Party is pretty aged. 
of which uh, that was not Hillary Clinton's biggest electoral flaw, but one of her flaws in that she's seen as being around too long. Are these two gentlemen, yeah. do they actually represent a new generation of the Democratic Party? Uh, Keith Ellison was very active in the Bernie Sanders campaign, and that's where I know him from. Um, Keith represents what would be considered the future of the party. Uh, Tom Perez uh, represents uh, what would he is seen as more establishment, but also has a reputation as uh, pro advancing progressive issues, specifically based on his tenure as labor secretary. Uh, so I would say that Mr. Ellison probably talks more to the vision of the future of the party um, based on his direct experience with the Bernie Sanders campaign and his God, career of championing progressive issues um, from his Minnesota district. So if there were a voice of the future, I would say it's Keith, uh, but not discounting uh, what uh, has done in his career as a son of Dominican immigrants who has basically gone from first generation to labor secretary. Okay, and just to e end up on this, uh, John, we haven't gone into a whole load of actually specifics, but we talked about kind of general kind of trends and done a snapshot of British British politics. But if there is to be a challenge uh, against Corbyn, where would that challenge actually come from in the Labour Party? I don't really see the being one. I mean, we've got a couple of by-elections coming up in uh, Stoke is one. I can't for the life of me remember the other is, but um, but you know, I if 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 the party loses those, there will probably will be people who who want to have another go at, at the coup. But it went so badly last year, like it just strengthened his hand. Um, and even though I think the shine has come off uh, for some of the left wing activists now who are, who are angry at Corbyn's stance on, on, on Europe, um, nonetheless, I just don't see who's going to, who's going to want to run that challenge. Like actually, I think the more likely is, I don't know if you saw that, um, Tristram Hunt, the, the uh, former shadow education secretary, who's very much from the, the right of the party, uh, has actually stood down to go take a job in the private sector, uh, thus triggering one of those by-elections. From what I'm hearing, it's more likely that we're actually just going to see people leave the party altogether, rather than anyone stick their neck out and try to get rid of Corbyn. They're just going to wait for him to fail on his own. And gentlemen, before we go on to takeaways of the week, how long... President Trump going to be president for? Over to you in Washington, D.C., Mr. Hubbard. Let's have your guess first. I would like to see, in full candor, I'd like to see four years because I think he'd be the most galvanizing uh, tool for the Democratic Party and progressive values that we've seen since George W. Bush. Uh, but it's really hard to say. I mean, I think it will at least last two years because up until now, we haven't seen any Republican counterbalance that is willing to challenge or take up some of the calls from the Democratic side to investigate his conflicts of interest, like investigate uh, the fact that, you know, he has not filed his taxes and all these sorts of things. Uh, so that counterbalance, I think, comes should Democrats do well in the midterm elections. Uh, but absent that, I say at least two. Uh, but I think I think he has a full term. For, for better or for worse. John, what what's your guess? Reggie is far closer to this than me, so I'm 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 going to defer to him on that. The one thing I would say is 
it must be at least possible that his health is going to come into play here, isn't it? Mm. Well, mm. his mental health. I agree with you. I think you raise a fair point. The demands of the job in and of itself are brutal. And then you factor in that you're creating all this extra stress. I agree with you, John. I mean, it, it's easy to forget he's the oldest president there has ever been. He's 70, know? yeah. So I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I think that's just as likely to, to remove him as, as impeachment, to be honest. But yeah, but impeachment who knows? Will happen with Republican. Impeachment will not happen with Republicans. Um, but I mean, I mean, surely it's surely it's possible if it gets to the point where it's so obviously in their interest to be seen to act against him, which is which is what happened with Nixon in 74. Right. It was when the Republican leadership in Congress turned against him that, that he finally resigned. Absolutely. Uh, uh, have- and when you think those midterms are coming and if you're looking at unprecedented uh, Republican losses, because his poll numbers are just going to be so bad, surely, um, you know, some, you're going to have Republicans galvanized by Republicans in, in the Senate actually, say, actually saying, no, we, we do need uh, to get rid of this guy. And, and ultimately, I mean, you'd have a safe pair of hands in, if you're a Republican. You'd have Mike Pence. Yeah, who's probably more malleable. Uh, than, than President Trump. Well, he's I a, mean, he's and we a, all know this. He's a and, and less likely to sell off World War Three. I mean, I don't. I'm sorry to be selfish about this, but I think I think Pence would be a horrible president to live under in the United States. But I think he's less likely to kill the rest of us. Yeah, no, he's, absolutely. He's better for the world wars for us, right? <laughs> uh, on on that note, let's go to our takeaways of the week. All right, so takeaways of the week. Um, our takeaways have got to be non-political. Going over to you in London, Mr. John Ellidge, what's your takeaway? Oh, oh it's, it's only a little bit political. Um, we've been watching uh, a show on Netflix called Designated Survivor, which is uh, Keith <laughs> Sutherland as the uh, Housing and Urban Development Secretary who is elevated to the presidency after literally everybody dies in an explosion. <laughs> and it's it's terrible. I'm not going to lie to you. It's got some of the worst dialogue in it I've ever seen. But it is, in the same way the West Wing was during the Bush years, there is something oddly comforting about watching an alternative presidency uh, in the hands of someone who is basically right. a good guy. Plus, right. it's got Cal Penn in it, and having Cal Penn in things is always good. So, yeah, so this is, Kumar takes up the problem. So, this is yeah. basically Ben Carson. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> ben Carson is survived, yeah, and actually is now the president. Quite well, in, in real life. So, you're saying it's bad, but it's so bad it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm 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 saying don't go into this expecting a great piece of television, but it's quite it's entertaining and diverting, and you know, basically we all just want to bury ourselves in fiction right now. I respect that. Uh, Reggie, what's your takeaway of the last seven days? Um, my takeaway from the last seven days comes from the uh, tennis court, uh, where Roger Federer and Serena Williams were champions of the Australian Open. Uh, both of them being some of the oldest people to uh, make that uh, championship run. Uh, my takeaway is that, you know, don't give up on the old folks, right? You know, you can reinvent yourself um, with enough dedication if you catch enough lucky bricks, um, regardless of your age, whatever you want to do. Ah, oh. so there's, uh, 
there's still room and space for us uh, 48 year old old men like like me in the world is what you're saying uh i mean maybe we'll see you at wimbledon right <laughs> uh may maybe not maybe not um my takeaway as a spectator uh, well yeah have you ever been to wimbledon <laughs> you've you been actually reggie i have not i've been i've been to the uh the, tr the train station but i haven't <laughs> been to the event how about you john you, you ever been to wimbledon to watch the tennis uh you know me in sport i just don't get it so <laughs> you don't need to get it to go because that was the beautiful thing for me because go, right? <laughs> I it was one of the most but like people people pay a lot of money and go to a lot of effort to, to go to these things why would I steal their ticket like when I'm wow. just not gonna well I'm gonna be like you know what's what, who's the guy with the ball is it the, I, it's just wasted on me you know? <laughs> nice. who's nice. the guy with the nice. ball right uh, uh, okay but I must admit I went to I saw Martina Navratilova's last, I think it was the last year she won a Wimbledon title and she was in some oh, that's awesome. age, aged doubles thing. And yeah. it was, and I'm no fan of organized tennis because me being uh -huh. uh, a class warrior, um, it just smacked right. of the establishment right. and of ye olde world, ye England, and a to total anachronism. I couldn't have had right. more fun and it was uh, <laughs> strawberries and cream and champagne and, and uh, all the things which I rail, rail against. It was actually quite nice just just to see them and the 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 casual middle class pageantry of, of the whole thing uh, was something actually to behold. And if you just said, you know what, this is just a nice thing in and of itself, and then to go and watch people, you know, knock knock a ball over a net, uh, it, it was actually a lot of fun. It was actually a lot of fun. So. I think Wimbledon is something which, if you can go to, you should at least go to once. And um, anyway, mm -hmm. but Serena Williams' uh, achievement is, um, you know, it's actually truly breathtaking. And to see those two sisters play against each other and how gracious, gracious they were again, to, yes, to each again, other right. and so articulate uh, was actually, I think, uh, touching on the moving, to be quite honest with you. And uh, she's the most celebrated woman in... Uh, open history now, isn't she? Definitely in, in the Correct. professional era, anyway. And, Correct. Uh, so, yeah, and she's worked very hard, and I think she doesn't quite get all the plaudits she she deserves, really. Now, because um, they came, they came from South Central Los Angeles, like the inner city, right? So, mm -hmm. for her to go from South Central LA to like the most decorated female tennis champion ever, that's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't really know what I'm going to say about my takeaway of the week. Um, it's been an amazing round of, of FA Cup uh, action in terms of the amount of upsets and just there must have been at least seven teams from a lower tier beating, uh, beating higher teams of which at least two were uh, amateur teams or nominally amateur, amateur awesome. teams. And I just say this to Americans all the time. I really wish American sport was structured more like British and, and European, like, like sport is the rest of the world over. And it's right. something which I'm sure I've said before on, on, on Mid-Atlantic, but I'm just going to say this again, considering that today Sutton United beat Leeds 1-0 and Sutton United are in the uh, amateur stroke semi-professional league and they're even 
three quarters away down that league and they beat Leeds United. Leeds United are on the, in the second tier of English football, historic, famous right. English club that have got to European uh, Cup finals and actually have won uh, the, the championship on more than one occasion. So for this team of semi-professionals to go and beat them is truly romantic. And You're when I underdog. yeah absolutely, and when I look at the fact that it was the Golden State Warriors played in basketball, played the LA Clippers yesterday and beat them by I think 50, 50 points. Um, yeah, th- th- that's great, and it was an, a great achievement. But if American sport wasn't always just a cartel whereby it was just franchises playing against each other, and it was a true merit- meritocracy. So that uh, there was promotion and relegation. So that I would love to see relegation. Oh, it would. I think it would transform, <laughs> transform American sport. So that you had uh, teams that are perennially kind of at the bottom, um, having something to play for at the end of the season. So they didn't get demoted right. into the Triple A league, or also right. it was oh, baseball. Yeah. That would, you know, and. Uh, that's what I'd absolutely love to see. And then when you look at Sutton United beating Leeds United uh, 1-0, and these are, a gu- these are a whole bunch of guys who have um, jobs do- doing other things as well. I just think, you know, that's, that's kind of the beauty of sport and the fact that these postmen can go up against professional footballers and actually pull up a result. Um, so that's kind of really my takeaway of, uh, of the week is that the FA Cup, through all of its problems, um, is still actually there as something to, to behold and something which actually shows us the romantic, the romantic, the romantic side actually of organised sport. Um, it's been a momentous week, gentlemen. But just before we sign off, um, you need to tell us both uh, where our listeners can actually find you on social media. Uh, first, over to you in Washington DC, uh, Mr. Reginald Hubbard. Uh, my Twitter handle is O Reggie Global O R E G G I E G L O B A L, but it's actually Portuguese, so it's Ohegi Global, um, and Facebook, <laughs> I am Reginald Hubbard, easy to find. And are you working on anything at the moment? Are you writing anything? Or what are you doing after, you know, after your catastrophic loss working for the Bernie Sanders campaign? <laughs> it wasn't catastrophic. We lost 52-48. Um, <laughs> and, you know, um, right now I'm just kind of relaxing. Uh, I've been... Working on campaigns are arduous in and of itself, but uh, I was on the road producing show after show for about 13, 14, 15 months. And so I'm taking it all in to try and figure out my next project. But in the meantime, some writing on my own, um, but mostly just yoga and relaxing. Uh, how about you, John? Um, how's work for you at the moment? What are you working on? And how can people find you on social media? I am generally found on Twitter where I'm at John Elledge. That's J O N E W L E D G E. I mostly edit a website called City Metric, which is all about cities, urbanism, transport, and all that jazz. But they also write a bunch of political stuff for the for the Mothership, which is the New Statesman magazine, and anyone else who have any. Uh, and uh, the other thing I'm mainly working on at the moment is uh, building a bunker. So. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> well, um... <laughs> that's one of those jokes that's not really a joke. <laughs> he's like, he's like, no, but for real, though. Like, for real, though. Like, 
<laughs> no, for real. Right, if anybody wants to keep up with my progress on uh, social media, specifically Twitter, I'm at Royfield, that's R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. We will see a whole load of misspelt, grammatically poor tweets um, about primarily the archers and then occasionally forays into, uh, in, into politics. Um, that has been us on uh, Mid-Atlantic this week. Oh, and by the way, we're also seeing followers at Mid-Atlantic Show, uh, also on Twitter. That's been us trying to understand a somewhat momentous, historic, unprecedented week in US politics, which has got ramifications for not only the UK, but for the rest of the world. Goodbye, gentlemen. Yes. Good night. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.